Osiris. Being a woman is our ability to maintain perspective and to extend grace and compassion because we spend so much time being hard on ourselves that we make space in those areas for others. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Welcome to Salute the Songbird. I'm your host, Maggie Rose, and today we're speaking with a friend of mine who I really hope is enjoying a nap somewhere because she just had an incredibly epic week last week at the 56th Annual CMA Awards where she was nominated in several categories. She took home the award for Musical Event of the Year for her collaboration with Carly Pierce on their duet, Never Wanted to Be That Girl. And she's just released a fantastic and wildly entertaining project called Ashley McBride Presents Lindyville, produced by John Osborne of Brothers Osborne and loosely based on songs written by Dennis Lindy, hence Lindyville. Dennis Lindy has been known for songs like Goodbye Earl and John Deere Green, which contain characters that are fictional, but definitely impressions of people that he had dealt with growing up. And Ashley's project is very much inspired by that whole concept of storytelling and making relatable characters, but framing them in entertaining and narrative kind of way. I really encourage you, if you haven't had the privilege yet, before you listen to the rest of this podcast, go listen to Ashley's project, because then you'll get to know more about all these characters that we're going to reference throughout our conversation. But we also talk about the collaborators that she worked with on this project and how The process of writing with them led to also her featuring them prominently on this record. Some of them sing the lead vocals on a few of the tracks. We talk about why she chose to release Lindyville as her third album, which may have deviated from a major label's normal plan for an artist like Ashley, and how it's changed the way that her band now approaches performing live, and what she means when she asks them after a show if they've fulfilled their emotional set lists. It's a really great conversation for a standout artist who I believe is breaking the mold. I can't wait to see what she does next. But for now, let's get into what she's up to lately with Ashley McBride. Washing over this old town like a bird on a wire. All right, Ashley McBride, welcome to Salute the Songbird. I'm so happy to see your face and... I'm seeing it everywhere. I mean, all these CMA nominations that you've racked up for yourself. You were just invited to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry by Garth Brooks and on TV, which was not the conventional way that most Opry members have been invited for such an honor. How are you doing in the midst of all of this? I still can't fully feel my face. (laughs) 
And I noticed that happen when I realized where Garth was and what was about to happen. And they sure guaranteed that they surprised me because that's not how it's done. And so, you know, how many Opry's do you play? Wondering like, oh my gosh, what's it going to feel like someday when someone walks onto the stage and invites me to be a member? And I was ready to talk about the Lindyville record. And then I was ready to talk about something that was kind of hard to talk about, which was that bad horse accident. And so I had like stayed up a little bit late and like, went through the footage that they were going to use. And I was prepared, like my body wasn't going to be like activated in any kind of way. And then that happened. And then on top of it, when I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing that can happen to anyone in country music. Then they were like, who's the lady in blue? And I'm like, no one on my team is wearing blue. And it was my mom. And my mom doesn't, I mean, she's in good health, thankfully, but she doesn't do stuff. She doesn't fly. She doesn't go to New York. And there she was. There and a lady that helped raise me too, a lady that we call Mama Patty. And I took mom and Mama Patty to breakfast over at Junior's by the hotel. And I FaceTimed my stepdad and I said, What are you doing? And he's been married to my mother since I was about 19. And he was just big old fat tears rolling down his face. And he said, I've been watching my baby on TV. Mm. I mean, you so deserve that admiration. And you know, you've become such a fixture at the Grand Ole Opry. I feel like that's the only time I ever get to see you in person and passing like, backstage. Yeah, you and I saw each other at the Sykeston Rodeo one year mm-hmm. when bros were playing. And then we I We had a good time too that night. Yes. <laughs> apart from Opry, I did not get to see you again for a long time. Yeah, we need to have that level of fun again together, like yes. we did at the Sykeston Rodeo. But no pun intended, but the full circle moment of you being invited to become a member of the Opry compared to the anecdote that you gave the audience before you played your Opry debut, where you told the audience how you told a teacher of yours that you wanted to move to Nashville and write songs. I was in high school and somebody asked me, um, was a teacher of mine, and asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. And first point of business is don't grow up. I mean, you know. And I said, I want to move to Nashville and write songs and sing them. And she said, that's stupid. That'll never happen. I'm not lying to you folks. And she said, you'd better have a really good backup plan. And, uh, well. Don't waste your life behind that guitar. You may get gone. But you won't get far You're not the first And won't be the last And you can tell us all about it When you come crawling back That road you're on it Just winds and winds You're spinning your wheels Wasting your time But when the lights come I don't even feel like asking the question, what would you say to that teacher now? Because you're saying it out loud to everybody. But there has to be some weight to that and some significance to the fact that now you have been woven into the fabric that is this long-standing tradition, not just country music, but music in general, by being a member of the Grand Ole Opry. What would you tell her when another student of hers comes up to her with a big ambition like you had? It would be probably easiest to say nanny nanny boo boo and 
I hope you've got your TV on every time the awards shows come on and you get to see my friends and I do what we do. But I think the best thing to say to her would be thank you. Mm-hmm. Because that started that first layer of thick skin that you're going to have to have to do this. And lucky me, I got that in the 10th grade where I was like, oh man, when you say, I want to be a doctor and everybody goes, great. And you're like, I want to be a lawyer. And everybody goes, great. And you go, I'd like to be a songwriter. And then they go, that's stupid. The only person that's going to protect that is you. And I did have support. You know, my mom is wonderful, but like to answer her question, what are you going to do when you grow up? So clearly, and be like, I'm going to write songs and to have that met with such dismissal that doesn't happen to kids from the Northeast part of Arkansas. Like, I guess I would just be like, thank you for being so close-minded in such a small town. Even your brain is a small town. Like you just, you had no vision. And if you never wanted more for yourself than the things that you could easily reach, then that's okay. And that's your thing. But for me, it lived outside the city limits and that's okay too. Well, think of how many sparks have been extinguished by discouraging comments like that to, you know, 10th graders all over the world right now. I want to pursue a degree in philosophy or poetry or creative writing. And these are kind of looked at as, you know, not viable skills to take out to the real world. And I think that it's a testament to the conviction that you've continued to demonstrate throughout your career that you know, we all have to have a strong belief in ourselves in order to be able to do these great daring adventurous things and that's not something that anyone can teach you it's just something that you have to have within so kudos to you and i'll say nana nana boo boo to her for you so we're all <laughs> doing you. it for you you have plenty <laughs> of fans out there who are uh, very satisfied in doing so but before we get to this incredible album you have many nominations that you've racked up for yourself at this CMA Awards upcoming, but you also have a bunch that you've garnered for yourself and your friend Carly Pierce. And I just want you to speak a little bit to your relationship with her because it's been so beautiful to watch. It seems like it's rooted in respect and admiration for each other and that there really is like you're walking the walk of true support for your fellow musician, especially your fellow female musician. You've shown that to me, you've shown that to so many, but very visibly to Carly in your collaboration. Yeah, and I'm so happy you said it's born of respect and admiration because that's the whole friendship is built on that. I think back in the day, I would have we would have said we had, you know, lyrical crushes on one another or, <laughs> or melodic crushes on one another. It was interesting at first when my publisher was like, are there any artists that just off the top of your head you really want to write with? And I was like, I would really like to write with Carly. And she had answered that question similarly. And so they were able to make that happen rather quickly. And we're kind of an odd couple because Carly is tall. Of course, compared to me, everyone is tall, but she's tall and she's well put together. And her volume is at a reasonable level when she speaks. And then I usually come in the room just like the Tasmanian devil. And I'm just like, ah! and I'm covered in tattoos and just like, so we were kind of an odd couple for friendship, but I think since it was based so musically, like I'm sure we don't hang out with the same people if we didn't have the same occupation. And it was based so musically and getting together when I was having my fingers crossed because I would love to write a duet. I love writing duets, even if we don't get to use them. And then for her to want to write one too was just a God wink. 
And I think the love and respect we had for each other got to grow that day because, you know, we decide what subject we're fixing to tackle. And I said, you know, this is a little too close to home. It's okay to say uncle. And she was like, oh, hell no, let's go. And I was like, you know what? If she's willing to be this open and honest about what she just went through, then I'm willing to be just as open and honest about what a piece of shit I've been sometimes. And sometimes without knowing it. Because whether you know it or not, you have been the other woman. And the times that you have found it out has felt pretty crappy. So much bravery from both of you in the song, Never Wanted to Be That Girl. I never wanted to be that girl. I never wanted to hate myself. I thought this kind of lonely only happens to somebody else. Being the other one when there's another one. God, this feels like hell. I thought I knew who I was, but it's getting hard to tell. I never wanted to be that girl. And I do love the yin and yang of your presentation with each other. I think that that makes for a really wholehearted experience. I love showing the versatility of what is country music. I think we all should go way deeper in widening that spectrum. But to me, it just makes sense. The synergy is clearly there when I watch you guys together performing, when I watch you together just, you know, being around each other. But yes, the bravery is what I think is so striking to so many people and what I think makes it such a standout duet and a duet between two women, which is not something that you often hear. It's rare these days. And I thought it was so cool that Miranda and Elle, that their duet was out at the same time as me and Carly. And as far as supporting each other, I know that there was a chance, and you may have felt this way too, when you first popped on the scene, there's a chance that we're all the catty bitch at the cocktail party and that just no one has told us that, but that's how it's going to be when you get into country music. And it really hasn't been that way for the most part. So I think it's interesting with people like Will Miranda for one and Lainey Wilson and Kaylee Hammock and me and Carly to see us all constantly cheering each other on and genuinely so, genuinely so. This is Lainey's first year to be in female vocalist. And though I've never uh, been the person to take that on her home. If Lainey whips my ass in that category, you better believe I'm drinking about it in yeah. the best way for her. And Miranda put it in a really cool way. I was out riding with her one time and she said, I like how we ask each other to level up. We level each other up and it's a really healthy competition. Absolutely. I think that's why there's such a really, really strong showing in the art that women are putting out because we have to, there is a higher standard for us that has been set just because of the lack of space that's been made for us. But it's also because the excellence that is coming from the artists that are in the game right now is encouraging us to all meet each other there. Okay, let's talk about this record. Welcome to Lindyville. Ashley McBride <laughs> presents Welcome to Lindyville. I first listened to this thinking, you know, you put out such incredible, authentic music, but you are signed with a major label 
And I just figured, you know, they'd say, you need to make another studio record where you're singing the lead on all of these songs and it's introspective and it's telling your story. And then first song comes on and I'm just like, holy shit, Brenda Put Your Bra On is like this raucous, almost sin wagon level energy of chaos. Brenda Put Your Bra On is just getting good shit's going down in the trailer hood. Pants round his ankles, still sporting wood. Brenda Put Your Bra On. And then I started reading about the inspiration behind it and Dennis Lindy, who is an incredible songwriter who wrote songs like Goodbye Earl and John Deere Green, which have characters like Earl and Marianne and Wanda and Billy Bob and Charlene. He was kind of the inspiration behind this project that you wanted to do with Nicolette Hayford or Pillbox Patty. Right. And Connie Harrington, Brandy Clark, Aaron Raitier, Benji Davis. And you kind of set this agenda with them at a lakeside writing retreat. You're all sitting at the same kitchen table. And I just want to know how you prompted them to get on the same page with you to write this amazing collection of songs. It's about a, a fictional village that is in the spirit of the same folklore that Dennis Lindy brought to his songs with these characters and storytelling. How did that conversation go at that kitchen table with these writers? It started with me, Nick, and Aaron. We were in a write over at my publishing house, and we had written a song called Blackout Betty, which is, you know, like Pillbox Patty is Nicolette when she parties <laughs> yeah. too hard. In fact, that's just Nicolette. Well, Blackout Betty happens to be not just tequila me, but too much of any of that substance me. My character when I'm that way is Lucille. Lucille, see, we all yeah. have this alter ego. So we wrote about that. And then we were talking about, does Aaron had Jesus Jenny and Nicolette had written Shut Up Sheila that I had put on my second record. And Nicolette and I had written Living Next to Leroy, which was a real guy that she lived by in the trailer park in Stark, Florida. And the conversation started with, you know what we should do or like, you know, it would, would be cool. So we started kicking that idea around. Well, normally when we put a retreat together, it's me, Nicolette, Aaron, Connie, and Brandy. And then I usually ask, let's bring somebody in. I've never met. I have no idea who this person is. And let's what a cool element to throw in there. So during the great separation, none of us are on the road. <laughs> and great I'm like, separation. well, to do, <laughs> right. I mean, our grandparents got the great depression. We get a great something. <laughs> um, and it's a much more romantic way to say that there was, you know, all that shit going down. So I knew that none of us were busy, but I didn't know if we'd be able to do it. So I just started calling I'm like, Hey, do you want to do a retreat? And they're like, absolutely. So I just talked to my publisher. I'm like, I want to set it up for October. And I told everybody, we think about all these characters we've made. If we made them a town to live in and named it Lindyville, wouldn't that be cool? Like, even if all we do is just go as a bunch of nerds and write more character-driven songs. And they were like, yeah, I think we should. And also, if we don't go and write these character-driven songs, no problem. Anytime we all get together for four or five days, you know how it is on a retreat. Something great is going to come of this. And we may get four songs we like. We might get 15 songs we like. And they may have nothing to do with one another. Totally fine. There are no rules. Just if the spirit moves us. And 
we got to the house and all sat down at the table. And I want to say Brenda was the first song we wrote. Of course, Nicolette's like, Brenda, put your bra on should be one of the songs. And I'm like, oh my God, yes. And things just start falling out. It's amazing the cohesion that you were able to find. And of course, I drew parallels between characters that you've referenced on your last two records. I mean, I think that all these characters know Marianne and Wanda and that it's very feasible that, you know, this is real life. This is rooted in more traditional country music that, you know, I loved that getting outside of yourself and telling stories. And I think it can be, I've found this and I'm sure you have too. It can be a little exhausting, especially in the midst of what we've all been collectively dealing with to just constantly be, you know, bleeding ourselves and exposing our individual experience. And it's sometimes liberating to just kind of tell that story through the lens of someone else. And even if that person isn't necessarily real, they are a composite of people that we're dealing with every day or that we grew up with. And people that you've been at different times. And I think it's really freeing to just play the role, right? Like, all right. Screw it. I'm Blackout Betty for the rest of the record. Let's go. When you're writing, how much laughter happened? How much tequila was consumed? Like, I just wish I could have been a fly on the wall at this retreat. Especially Jesus, Jenny. I just, I had to pause it. Titties popping out your turtleneck. You're riding around in your egg Corvette. Getting all the wrong kinds of respect. Jesus, Jenny. Shit, I wouldn't want you. Even my mother is like, that song's a little much. Because she is completely against the use of GD. Um, sometimes that's the only way to get the point across. Jesus, Jenny. That kitchen table was very much in the kitchen kitchen. So it's like an eat-in kitchen. So at any given time, there are people at the table, someone's making a sandwich. Someone's smoking on the porch with the window open. You know, Aaron Raytier is always like sketching. He's also got his camera with him and like a Polaroid. And all of these things are going on. There's laptops. There's kind of like snacky things laying on the table. At one point, Brandy Clark was in the kitchen and arranged all of the fruit by size and color. <laughs> and then took a picture of it. I want to say we went through a carton and a half maybe of Marlboro Lights, eight bottles of Espelon tequila were at least present. If they weren't fully consumed, they were at least present. And, you know, Connie Harrington has a thing called Ding Ding Time, and she's got a xylophone. And oh, she's she like, ding, ding, ding. When that happens, everybody just puts their shot glass on the table. And we don't pour a whole shot because that would be a lot of tequila. But we would take our little ding dings and keep creating a ton of laughter. And plus, Nicolette and I, we like to laugh at each other. We also, we don't enjoy arguing, but we end up arguing a lot. And I think that's part of the entertainment for ourselves as well. Plus this house was, it was really cool, but it was also really strange. If we took a Polaroid like at Nicolette, sometimes it would come back just black film. And so that became its own mystery, which there's one song that didn't end up staying to be on the record. And it's called the man that runs the lift at the white feather Inn, And it's a ghost story. And we wound up experiencing our own like spooky stuff happening in that house. <laughs> Because, I mean, you were inviting so many different lives into that room. And I could smell 
the Marlboros. I could taste the tequila as I was listening to it. It was like the sensory overload and the level of description and just like having lived it and been there was so palpable as I listened through it. And I love all those people that you've collaborated with. So I think having that personal perspective as well was just, it made for just an incredible first listen for me. The commercials between the songs, you have Ronnie's Pawn Shop. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's one about a funeral home. I want to know, did you hear commercials like that on the radio growing up? Yeah. Where I lived, there were really only a couple of stations you could get. And there was a country station out of Thayer, Missouri, and an oldie station out of Hardy, Arkansas that you could get. And pretty much when you heard a jingle, it was whoever, like the choir director, maybe the band director, or like there was this bluegrass band in town called the Chubby Chiggers. That's kind of who was going to do your jingle. If it was like a local business and you needed a song song, that's who was going to come do it. So I thought it'd be fun. Plus, as we're writing all these songs, we'd give ourselves a break, go outside and smoke a cigarette. That's when jingles would happen. Because we're in our weird little brains. This house is now in Lindyville. That street that we're looking at is a street in Lindyville. Like, and we've just put ourselves here. And we're like, if you're driving through town, you're going to be listening to the local radio station. If you're listening to the local radio station, you're going to hear some jingles. And then, of course, you know, the diner, because everybody loves pie. And Ronnie's Pawn Shop, of course, because all of the shady shit that goes down in this town, most of it gets bought and sold on the down low, and that's going to happen at the pawn shop. And then it would be completely absurd for a funeral home to have a jingle, which is why we had to have one. I just loved it. I thought I totally could tell that like, those were things that just fell out probably when you guys were laughing in between songs. And I loved that the album is sequenced as such where, you know, it's just like a little break in programming. Also the fact that you featured your collaborators as the lead singers on some of these songs. When all of these events happen where I'm going to be able to go and cut this record with John Osborne as the producer, I could have sang every song, but the whole point of making sure this got put down, even if it's not put out as a record, was to capture that magic that we got to experience and that creativity that was just in the air and in the ether. So when you're listening to the work tapes, which is what is convincing me and the people that I'm playing them for, that this should be recorded, the magic there is who was singing which work tape and how it happened. And, you know, we're a little bit drunk when we're singing the misconnection section of the Lindyville Gazette. And so the only way to properly honor how much fun we had and how much magic we found was to have us, you know, Benji Davis sang gospel, not at the strip club into my iPhone. So he sang it on the record. Nicolette Hayford singing the girl in the picture. Absolutely. Pillbox Patty should be singing that song and anybody can sing them. I can sing them. You can sing them. But for the purpose of that cool energy hug, It needed to be that way. Well, hey there. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Ashley. And I hope you're staying warm because I'm out here walking it out and the sun's shining and it is still cold. 
but I just had a great string of shows and I'm loving this chat with Ashley and that's keeping me warm and fuzzy on the inside. I have to commend Ashley for her showing at the CMA Awards last week. She performed When Will I Be Loved, a great Linda Ronstadt song that she also features on Ashley McBride Presents Lindyville. And it was so fun because she brought Pillbox Patty on stage and Kaylee Hammock, Brandy Clark, John Osborne, who produced the record, was playing electric guitar behind her. And everyone just seemed like they were having the best time. And everything that Ashley was just telling us about that camaraderie between her and her fellow artists, it was just evident that that was very authentic. And furthermore, when Lainey Wilson won Female Vocalist of the Year, a category that Ashley was also nominated in, Ashley was cheering louder than everybody in that place. And it was just wonderful to see. It defies all those silly sayings that women don't support other women. I see it constantly. You can see it for yourself if you just look to Ashley McBride. Now, this is your last friendly reminder to go listen to Ashley McBride Presents Lindyville before you proceed with the rest of this episode because she's about to talk about all of her thoughts that went into the creation of these fantastic characters and this wonderful little town, Lindyville, that she's created with her co-writers. And I think that you'll really enjoy hearing her thoughts more if you've become acquainted with these characters and this town yourself. But regardless, you're going to love hearing about all the inspiration that went into this project and just how cool it was that this project ever came to be and is her third album when she already has another one in the can. So let's get back into the business of how Ashley McBride connects us all through her stories and songs. Like a lot of artists believe what we're told, you know, you just get firmly established and you'll be able to do whatever you want. You're doing whatever you want. And I also argue that you are firmly established, but there's a risk to going this route. Like, I just go back again to like, what courage? It's been interesting speaking with radio individuals too, and they're like, there's some language on this record. How are you going to get the radio to play this? And I said, oh, I'm not going to offer it to you. It's <laughs> not for that. It's just for listening to. Because like, you know how often we have ideas like this where we're like, you know what we should do? You know, it'd be really cool. And let's say we even do take the next step and write the songs. There's a chance that all that happens is those end up on an old iPhone or on an old thumb drive in somebody's drawer. And we might bring them out drunk at a party one night because they're just so stellar and we remember them. And that's a really sad life for a song, especially for such a magical few days. That's like having a guitar of any age, a vintage guitar or a brand new guitar, and telling it it will live in the case for the duration of its existence. That is a terribly sad thing. So I am so happy that it's perceived and received as courage. And on my end, it's the right thing to do to honor my friends and the magic that we touched and all of that was, it needs to be done now. I know that we need to do our record three right now, but if we don't do this, this is how songs end up on a thumb drive in a drawer. So we had to do it. And then of course, keep our obligation and do our proper third record too. Well, and just think of all the conversations that you're going to ignite with this project. And i think that you're casting 
a wider net, all these people that are going to discover you maybe for the first time that are on the fringes of you know, country, not necessarily listening to commercial country radio, which I don't think you've ever been classified as that, but it's just going to, I think Thank you pull more people in to your world and if very effectively done. I love the production. I want to talk about, you know, what it was like to work with John Osborne, who's one of the greatest people and musicians this town has to offer. There was just such like a playfulness and like a fun, not seriousness, nothing slick about the production, but it was very musical. Thank you. I love saying that it's not slick. And of course, another musician would be like, this isn't a slick production. I like it. That makes me very, very happy. I think there was a lot of playfulness and me asking John to, you handpick the musicians. We do it where you want, how you want, the time of day you want. I just knew that his brain was the right brain and his hands were the right hands to put all this in, to bring it to life. And I think what helped us out was the same thing that helped us out in writing the songs. We weren't there to make a record to put out. We were there to capture what was right for the song or what was right for that character or what was right for that hour before lunch. And I think that gave us, we just felt a little more free because we're like, that's just music. We'll make more after lunch. You know, and I think that is what kept the playfulness installed in all the musicians and of course the people he chose were just amazing and the studio guys man the way they can switch from let's say bonfire at tina's And this big, more grandiose, more dramatic sound. And they can switch from that to the misconnection section of the Lindyville Gazette, which the pass, I believe, John would have to correct me on this. We played the pass a couple of times and Brandy and Aaron sang it. And then John came across the talk back and said, forget everything I said, everybody overplay. And like I said, we were a little bit drunk when we made that work tape. And it kind of sounds that way on the Lindyville Gazette. But the ability to change your brain from this big, grand, dramatic, executed sound and go switch right on over to a drunk guy playing a piano. That's just incredible. That comes from you setting the tone and saying what you just said, which, you know, we're not making like some overthought project with a mandate. We're just writing songs and you not being precious with it and being playful allows John and all the musicians you guys are working with to be the same. Like, you know, you weren't prickly about it. So people can try different things. And I think that that's what makes this so alive and it makes it feel like live music and it makes it feel like you're having fun because everyone was clearly not walking on eggshells, not when you were writing it and conceiving of it, not when you were recording it. And I think that's why the production 
feels so human. I think so too. The whole recording process at Lindyville felt like I was going to a playground each day and that my friends and I were going to like build a fort. And I've kind of taken that mentality to our live show with my band and saying things like, let's go get in the sandbox and make something cool today. Or our last show was just last week, last show of the year. And my drummer said, tonight I'm playing my show for four-year-old me who just learned how to play drums. So then I had everybody go around the circle and I'm asking each player, what age would you like to be tonight? And then we're like 11, like 16, nine. And my bass player had brought his daughter who's 14. And I was like, how old do you want to be tonight, Olivia? And she was like, like 11. And I was like, okay, cool. I was nine when I first got a guitar, but I like, I feel like I was pretty good by age 11. Like I'm going to be 11 years old. And then in my mind, if I was in the audience watching these 20 somethings all the way to damn near 40, something's on stage, I would see them as that little age. I would be able to see those kids running around on stage and just having fun. I think it's going to be important for me to kind of carry that thought process, like the let's go to the playground thing, because we hold ourselves to a high standard in this business and we want to execute and we want to entertain as precisely as we can. And I feel like maybe part of that, another element to make sure we keep intact is you were also a kid that was a big giant goober trying to learn to play a guitar and that kid deserves to play the show. Absolutely. The playfulness, the willingness to be more accepting of each other and of ourselves that we lose as we get older is something that we really need to work to maintain. And that's also, I think, the root of all creativity is you know, tapping back into that childlike feeling of you know, not being so important, but being open and a sponge and learning. Yeah, it's something we're experiencing with our audience. And right after each show, I ask the guys, how did you feel? It's never how many mistakes did you make or anything like that. And even if they're like, oh, man, I had a bunch of flubs tonight. Then my question is, did you fulfill your emotional set list? And when I ask that, I'm asking, did you make anyone in the audience feel the way you felt or feel the way you would like for them to feel. And did you do that for the whole show? Okay, great. We'll work on that bridge. You screwed all the way up, but (laughs) (laughs) as long as you have met your emotional set list, we're going to go with the right thing is better than the perfect thing for now. You mentioned bonfire at Tina's and there's a lyric in it where you say small town women ain't built to get along, but it's such a demonstration of sisterhood, the song in itself. So it's kind of a fun contradiction. And I I love how you carry through that example of sisterhood with your version of Linda Ronstadt's When Will I Be Loved, which is one of my favorite songs. And how did you come to choose that song as a cover? And what was it like to reimagine it? Because I love your version of it. At the time when we were toying with putting this on Lindyville, it was around the time that I did the rhyming for the first time. And that was the song when I had a guest each night that I wanted them to, to sing. You know, it was, it was Lainey and it was Caitlin Smith and it was Kaylee Hammock and I had Terry Clark there. And I thought that is one of my favorite go get them together kind of songs. And everybody can just wail on it. And it makes me very happy. So at the time, my manager, John Peets, was like, 
we should consider putting this on Lindyville. And I kind of I said, why would we put a cover on an album that's so original? And then it started to make more sense, especially where we had placed it in the track listing. All of these things happen and there's gospel at the strip club. And then there's a, a thing about a funeral home. And then when will I be loved? Oh my gosh. Because when we came in at the top of the record, that's when we found out Tina got cheated on. And now it's all us girls going, you know what? This sucks. When's it good for me? It's good for little Suntan City over there for the afternoon till Tina whipped her ass. And it's good for this and it's good for that. Like, when does it get good for me? And I was like, oh, yeah, we're not seeing it as we're putting a Ronstadt tune on the record. We're seeing it as this is a continuation of the thought right before or the beginning of the thought that is right after it for Bonfire. Girl in the Picture, sung by Pillbox Patty, I have to know, did she not know what to do when the fair ended and there was nothing to try for? Where do you think she is now? That was such a weird, all of it was weird, writing that song. Because all the songs got written from the top left-hand corner of the page down. We decided no storylines for anyone ahead of time. And then we were thinking about this girl who, she gets her picture taken at this event. We don't know what it is. She's not noticing that her picture is being taken. She really doesn't care. She's not sad or anything. She just kind of is sitting there. And this picture wins the blue ribbon at the fair. And it it ends up being the missing poster for this lady who's gone missing from Lindyville. And even in that bridge, we said there shouldn't be a prize because this guy wins, you know, the blue ribbon for it. And there shouldn't be a prize for catching the last smile of a girl named Caroline. And she looked beautiful. And if looks could kill, we'd have all been in trouble. And if hearts could spill, she would have told us what was going on with her that night. We have no idea why she's missing or how long she's been gone. And then the only other time we reference her is in the song Lindyville, where it says, Leroy has adopted the dog, he adopted patients. Then he misses Caroline. And we don't know if that's his sister or his friend or his neighbor, but we know that he was involved in her life in some way. The Welcome to Lindyville video, there was a comment on YouTube from one of your listeners saying, I've never heard a song from the point of view of the town clock. All I knew, and it was the last song we wrote in that house, 
that I wanted to kind of tie everything back together with a nice little bow because all we know is that Patty takes pills and Betty drinks too much and Tina got cheated on and whipped this girl's ass and Brenda doesn't have a bra on and Aaron and Brandy are trying to cheat on their spouses and everybody's a disaster. So I thought writing that song should be one moment in town tonight where everybody's okay. There was a big bonfire last night and now it's important to tell you that everything's all right. Betty didn't drink too much tonight. Patty managed to not take any pills tonight. Leroy adopted the dog. And there's nothing but stars. Like sometimes we just need to remember. I'll have these moments where I'll look up at the night sky and say things like, huh, I've been sitting there the whole time and I haven't even bothered to look up. So that was kind of where we were headed there was saying, sometimes it's okay to notice it's beautiful out. And that's all that's okay right now, but that's enough to be okay right now. But we didn't really know until we got to that chorus that said, I've seen parades and I've seen fires. We, we were really gentle with it at the beginning by, by describing my location as I'm way up here with the Whippoorwills. There's nothing but stars over Lindyville. And then by the time we got to that chorus and saying, this, whatever, the, whatever this is in this town has been there a really long time and has seen everything, every bonfire, every parade, um, and then we were like, okay, well, it's probably the old men that play, you know, on the courthouse square. No, it's probably the courthouse square. No, it's probably the clock. That's going to be the oldest thing in the town. It's got to be the clock. So then we went ahead and wrote the verse um, that literally says, I've been keeping time since your, your dad's dad's put me here. I know you've got so much going on today. I love you and I appreciate you for spending time with me with such an exciting moment in your life. I commend you for running with this project and knowing that you have another incredible album already in the can that we all can't wait to hear makes this that much more exciting and commendable and inspiring for me. I think everyone shouldn't be waiting for permission to do something crazy and out of the box and reveal another side of themselves to people and not wait for permission to do that. And I know that your father is dealing with an illness and I'm sorry about that, but I read in an interview that you shared that he would always tell you to you know, work really hard and he'd be proud of you for that. And now he has a perspective that led you to come to the decision to release this project. Would you be comfortable sharing about that at all? Yeah, he suffered an injury that he was having a hard time recovering from. He broke a couple of vertebrae in his back. And that led them to digging a little deeper. And it sends him into an early retirement because they discover this really rare illness that he has that attacks your muscles. And that's when he tells me, after dealing with the illness for a couple of years, he said, I had all these projects that I had set aside that I wanted to do as soon as I retired. And now I'm giving them away to other people. Do them now. So I am. I love it. I think that's inspiring and advice that we should all abide by. You always have been, though. Let's be real. This is just the natural progression of Ashley McBride's career and her music and what you will continue to reveal to us. I can't wait and see. I like to end these conversations by asking what you see as the benefit of being 
a woman in this industry because I think we often tend to fixate on all the ways in which it might not be in our favor all the time. Oh, wow. I think one of the benefits of being a woman is our ability to maintain perspective and to extend grace and compassion because we spend so much time being hard on ourselves that we make space in those areas for others. And we should make more of it for ourselves as well. But I think perspective and instead of just being like, that guy's an asshole, we kind of think, I hope that dude's okay. And I think that's more of a feminine quality and something we should cultivate in ourselves. And I mean, just in a catty way, one of the benefits to being a woman is we can sing higher than all those dickheads. (laughs) All right. And with that, (laughs) Ashley McBride. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the very entertaining and creative Ashley McBride. Make sure to give her a follow on her socials at Ashley McBride. And you can check out her website and all of her upcoming tour dates at ashleymcbride.com. And of course, if you haven't already done so, go listen to Ashley McBride Presents Lindyville and keep your eyes and ears out for her upcoming album that she already has in the can that was produced by Jay Joyce. She's a busy girl. And you can follow me on all my socials at I am Maggie Rose. Get updates and tour news from me at MaggieRoseMusic.com. And come see me out on the Almond Family Revival. It's going to take place on tons of dates between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we're hitting all these amazing theaters like the Beacon, the Ryman, Fillmore in San Francisco, a lot of places that the Almond Brothers made famous. And if you haven't had a chance to yet, go listen to my duet with Devin Allman. We recreated these days just like his dad did on his album Laid Back back in 73. It was a really special collaboration to be able to take on with Devin, and I can't wait to bring it out on the road. But that's it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate and review and share it with your friends. And we'll see you in a couple weeks with the next episode of Salute the Songbird. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose. Produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, and Kirsten Cluthy, with production assistance from Kippy Young. Edited by Justin Thomas. Music by Maggie Rose. Graphics by Mark Dowd. Thank you so much for listening to Salute the Songbird. And to close out the show, from Ashley McBride Presents Lindyville, this is If Dogs Could Talk, featuring Brandy Clark. Chewing his pants These dogs